0: The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit fef.law.
1: Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. The first game week of 2023 is upon us, so we are going to preview the match versus St. Louis City and cover some other Austin FC news, as well as uh, get into a little discussion about what the uh, what our depth chart looks like at this point. My name is Landon Cotton, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley.
0: Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I appreciate that you read the name of the St. Louis Club exactly as I wrote that into the outline. And I don't know. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. They seem to really, really, really be leaning into that. And we could probably ask uh, Devin Scott about the difference between the city and the county and why they care so much. But uh, <laughs> it's exciting. It feels good to be here for a game week. Um, and we'll see what we can do. We have no interviews this week we had like maybe two of the best interviews we've ever done last week. So maybe we didn't plan those out super well, but, uh,
1: but you know, we're going to do our best. Oh yeah. It's, it's probably good because we do have a lot to talk about and haven't been leaving ourselves much room to talk about any news or anything. But, um, yeah, the, the response to the YouTube videos of the interviews has been really good. So thank you for your kind words and thanks for watching it. Um, I feel like now that we're, we're YouTubers, jeremiah we need to start using some of the lingo so please go and smash that subscribe button uh and leave a comment i don't know what else do they say you have kids right yeah i was gonna say i have to ask my kids about it i know that my oldest son says anything
0: we're seeing is on youtube so i'm happy to know that we finally made that standard <laughs> Jack- jackson may actually finally watch an episode or an interview now that it's on youtube
1: That's the part of the show that doesn't include our thoughts or opinions, just us talking to other people who are smarter than us. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, All right, I guess we should jump into some of that news, huh? So I think the first part is news that we kind of knew was going to happen last week, but didn't have any of the details yet, which was Drew new contract. We knew that there was a press conference the next day when we recorded last week's show. Uh, We'd seen the Fabrizio Romano tweet saying that, Hey, this is happening. So we kind of knew it was happening, but we do have the details now. So it's going to be a new contract through 2025 with an option for 2026, a club option for 2026. Fabrizio Romano was saying in his initial report that he will be, this will make Drew one of the highest paid players in MLS. And so what do we think that number means? That is a great question because that's what people, you know, people
0: ask me that a lot of times. And I, I have like no basis in fact upon this, but I believe that would put put him in the five to five and a half million dollar range. It's where I was thinking based upon sort of where the top six or seven paid players in the league were for last year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that seems right. I mean, even if you go down to like top 10, you're still at around four million. Top uh, five million would put him in the top seven, five and a half million would put him in the top six. And so, if yeah, if Romano is to be believed and it kind of depends on like what highest paid means, like there's a lot of players in the league. So even if you're in the top 20, that's still pretty high, but um, yeah, I mean, you'd have to think it would be a pretty high number and uh, impressions of, of the press conference. I think this was kind of a side of Drew. UC that we hadn't seen as much before. He's not a guy who really emotes very much. Like, He seems uh, almost timid when speaking in front of people at times. And this was one of the first times when I seen him speak when he actually did show some emotion in this press conference. And I think it was very clear that like, he was excited about this. He's excited to stay here. And that's something that we talked about back when the Leeds rumors were kicking around. It was essentially like, I think the biggest question was, like, how much money is Leeds offering? And so that's the question of, like, okay, can Austin responsibly say no? But the even bigger question was, does Drew want to be here? Does he want to stay? And so if the answer is does he want to stay, then you, he tells Austin FC that, which is what Josh Wolf said he did. He said Sebastian was very honest with us that he wanted to be here, which that means, like, okay, let's talk about what it means to keep me here. And clearly Austin FC was willing to have that conversation and make it happen. But I think the biggest thing is it means that Juicy wants to be here. Like this is what he wanted. And I think that's huge. Like for a guy of his his quality at his age, for this to be his priority, this to be the main thing that he wants to do is so big for an MLS team.
0: and yeah, you, you mentioned last week that you kind of were hoping that this would lead to him being Austin's Diego Valeri. and I think this deal and sort of the talk around this deal – uh, and the terms really show that maybe he is, too. I wanted to point something else out. A good friend of mine who's very much more fashionable than I am noted that he was carrying a Louis Vuitton bag, Christian Dior jeans, and Christian Dior jacket um, to the press conference. So clearly he can afford to dress like that. So I'm really happy to know <laughs> that like his kids aren't going to go without food, and he can be both the most fashionable and highest paid player on the team. I think there's no
1: doubt about that. I'm sure that was a, a real concern for him before this. Oh, yeah.
0: Before that. But, I mean, we're looking at what what, he, what was this guaranteed last year? Like 2-2 two, two or 2-3 two, or something? I mean, it's he was not going without food, but that is a significant increase from where he was at last year. If it's what we believe it to be now.
1: Yeah. He also drives a, was it a Ferrari SUV? Is one of his cars? Is one of his cars, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's get into the rest of the Austin FC news. I guess one of the bigger things that happened in the last week is that the new Austin FC jersey was released. Um, I went to the kit release party, which I think I went last year as well. And Once again, a lot of fun. I think they, they've they done a good job of just making that kind of a fun environment to hang out in. What do you think of the jersey, and has your opinion changed over time? Well, I know my opinion is good. Okay, we'll just start
0: with it. I I, I kind of hate it. Um, there's just like too many, You still hate it. I still hate it. Okay. Ask me in three weeks after I've bought it and I've like seen it on players and I'm going to change my mind and it's going to have grown on me. Like I know me, but at this point in time, I'm still like, there's just too many different stripe patterns going on for me that don't make a lot of sense. And I'll stick to that for
1: not a long time, but that's still my current opinion. How about yours? My opinion swing happened really fast. Uh, it was like probably 24 hours. (laughs) We see like the initial, just like a shirt on, uh I guess it got leaked, right? Because the Adidas UK site posted it midnight local time. Right, it was leaked and a few, so a few hours in advance. Up, yep. Yeah, we all had just like the still image of like the shirt and like on the Adidas website. And they always like, Adidas for some reason, like always, they like decolor the images weirdly. And so the green doesn't quite pop. And so that made it look a little strange as well. But the initial images, I was not a big fan as we get the club release video, seeing it on on some of our our uh, Austin FC fan friends and then some of the players and then getting some other stuff. And then I think like the next day we got to see a little a few clips from the preseason friendly against Sacramento. by the time we're getting like the players wearing it, we get to see the numbers and names printed on the back. Then I started really enjoying it. Uh, I think the white trim, like with the numbers, the green back, I think it like ties it all together for me. I was looking at it too much, like the OG home kit and thinking of just like a different variation on that, but really it is like a a quite different shirt than that one. And so I think that's kind of what like fixed it in my brain for me is like, don't think of it as the same thing as that other one. It's a new thing. Uh, but I'm into it now. I think, I think it is weird. It's a big swing, but I think it works. All right. Well, I mean,
0: one thing that I think that probably changed a lot of minds that we should talk about a little bit is the, uh, the video. Cause we all kind of hammered the schedule release video, but I feel like the kit release video that had sort of the stories, um, about Austin that people bought probably made people more likely to love the Jersey than just seeing it on the rack. Like after, after I watched the video, I wanted to like it more. I still don't, but I wanted to like it more than I did from originally <laughs> seeing it.
1: Yeah, kit concepts are, are a thing that people make fun of a lot, and I think fairly so, but I think this was a pretty well executed storytelling element of like, okay, this is this is the story behind the kit. This is what it represents. And I think they did a good job of actually tying those things together and making it mean something, which I think is rare. So they did a good job.
0: Uh, I don't do we have any other jersey talk. I feel like that's probably about all we needed to do. I mean, and like I said, I'm gonna buy one. I'm going to pay the $192 or whatever it is between now. Oh, I wanted to ask you a question because I know that you said before we went on the air, and I think you've said it elsewhere, that uh, you like them with, you like the white and you like it with a name and number on the back, but you never buy like kits with names or numbers on them. So are you going to break your tradition and do that? Or are you going to leave a kit that you don't love as much because it doesn't have the design elements that you enjoy?
1: Yeah, I think if I buy one of these, it has to have the name and the number. Because like I said, the white I think the white ties it all together there. But I feel really weird getting a player's name on the back of my shirt because I'm older than all of them at this point, and it feels weird to me. Uh No judgment on anybody who does that. It just feels weird to me. <laughs> so I have to decide what I put on there. My parents have Moon Tower 22 on their... Sentimental kits. And I think they did Moon Tower 23 on the new ones. I, I don't know what they ordered yet, but would it be weird for me to get Moon Tower on my shirt? <laughs> I feel like this is a conversation, this is a discussion
0: for Andrew Wiebe talk about, I feel like before on his show, about having your own name as a non-athlete on the back of a jersey, which is effectively yeah. the same thing. So yeah, it might be a little bit weird. You may have to find You may have to find something else.
1: Yeah, so listeners, if you have any ideas, which I'm sure will all be great, then <laughs> let me know. <laughs>
0: You want to talk about Micah Burton?
1: Yes, I absolutely do. I
0: know you love talking about Micah Burton, so I'll maybe set it up and say Micah Burton, uh, U.S. It's U.S. seventeen, U seventeen, U seventeen team play. There we go. <laughs> round of sixteen match on Saturday versus Dominican Republic. They won five one or five I Don't remember, but Micah Burton. Uh, I
1: was no. This one was seven 0 Seven nil. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you, I think five was the one before. Okay. So, I think that... Yeah, I'm pretty sure... Dimin- yeah, I think it was 7 <laughs> so,
0: Well, he had another goal in that one, which means that uh, that the U.S. advanced to play against Guatemala in the round of eight, which will be on Tuesday night. Guatemala beat Jamaica 2-1 in the previous round to advance. Did you get to see... And they, I think the goal highlight showed up in a lot of places, but did you see any other Micah Burton action from that match?
1: I, I actually went back and was able to watch the whole thing. It was on Fox Soccer Plus and VIX Plus, which was really bizarre, but I was digging through Twitter, trying or sorry, on Reddit, trying to find tips on how to watch it. And someone gave the hot tip. If you open the Fox soccer website in incognito mode, it gives you 50 minutes of free watch time. And so I just did that twice and was able to watch both halves <laughs> of the game. Uh, but Michael looked really good. He So he's played several positions now. The first game I saw, he's playing the left wing, which I thought he was OK, but it Highlights some of his um, more predictable tendencies. He played striker, which is didn't look natural there, but was effective and useful there. This game, he played on the right wing, and this is his best spot in this team. He was really, really good over there. Um, was able to kind of like take guys both sides. On when he was on the left, he always wanted to cut in and combine, and on the right side he would go both ways would still cut inside quite a bit but because he's right-footed was comfortable kind of going both ways put in some really nice service into the box he takes all of their set pieces and so i i think Michael Burton could step in and probably be one of the favorites to take set pieces for the first team right now he's really really good at uh at putting corners into dangerous areas to floating um floating free kicks into dangerous areas into the box so Really, really good there, but it was um, really effective for this team. Granted, they're playing some pretty weak competitions, so I'll be interested to see what this team and what Micah looks like as they get a little bit deeper into the competition and see um, if they look as dominant against the better teams that they're playing against. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this game, it got a little sloppy at the end once they were up like 5-0 or something. But the first 60, 70 minutes that Michael was in, he looked excellent. That's great to hear. So uh, do we... I mean, this doesn't seem that like the competition
0: is necessarily all that great going forward either, with Guatemala just beating Jamaica 2-1. to one. So maybe we will not see another... Maybe it won't be another test. I don't know that they've been that great in qualifying. So maybe in the
1: semifinals, we'll get to see more about his overall quality. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be like that Final Four, which is the threshold for qualifying for the World Cup, the U-17 World Cup. So if they make it past this next round, then they have qualified. But yeah, I think that's probably where they're going to get tested a little more. Um, And then we also had
0: the last two matches of the preseason this week with Sacramento Republic on Wednesday night. That one was at Q2. That was uh, closed doors. We'll go through the lineup real quick because this is effectively more or less a second team lineup, right? Matt Bersano a goal. Lundqvist, Keller, Tarek, and Gallagher um, at the fullbacks ring Valencia and Jafal in the midfield. Redis, Finley, and Ruti at forwards, uh, ended 1-1 with Rigoni scoring a goal. So this is one of two Rigoni goals for the week. I'm trying to find a way to be excited for him and think that that is like a harbinger of success for this year without reflecting on Roddy Redis' past preseason performances. I don't know if there's a way to do that. <laughs> uh, but we got some notes because apparently... I I was at an event all night Wednesday. I totally missed this, but I guess some people found a way to watch the match through Apple TV through some backdoor means. Is that right?
1: Yeah. It, so it seems like a lot of Apple employees had access to watch some of these test broadcasts. And there just happens to be a lot of Apple employees in Austin. And I think some links and, and streams got shared around. I was at the kit release party, so I did not get to see it. But we had some people reach out and give us some notes who did get to see it. And we're going to share the notes of uh, of one of those people who is asked to remain anonymous. And um, I said... How, how many grains of salt do we want to recommend I, with, with these notes? I feel like this protects everybody
0: from having an opinion. I love that you were very clear about the fact that these are not your opinions and they're from somebody else.
1: <laughs> and this I was more, more so, how many grains of salt should we add? Because Do we trust this person? Right.
0: Opinions? Well, yeah, then this person believes in their own opinion so much they want it to remain anonymous. So there's not like, um, I think, I believe it was that, so they didn't want the listeners to immediately dismiss their opinion based upon the person with that opinion. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, so that's so we've really sold this. People are really going to hopefully take <laughs> hardcore notes of what's going on. But yeah, let's go through some of these notes and maybe you know which ones you thought were more interesting or what what you think might be telling um, about about what's in here.
1: Yeah, I think we can go through all of them quickly. But uh, first, note was Matt Bersano looked rough. Uh, was not impressed by Matt Bersano. Apparently, Alex Ring. The the quote is looks like a shell of his former self. And played with the backup squad instead of the like the starting squad. We'll get into more of that a little bit later on. Uh, Keller did not look great; kind of looked like the same Kip Keller of last year. Rigoni looked way better than last year. They said um, much more active and involved. Which, I mean, just based on score lines, I think he scored several goals at the, two or three preseason goals at this point. So um, that's good to hear. And then. Uh, here's, here's a quote from, from our mole here. After less than 30 minutes of a clear view of him, I'm ready to put all my hopes and dreams into Vison. he looked awesome, like Ruben, but with the movement of a wasp. Dude was everywhere and didn't seem to put a foot wrong. So I, I've seen quite a bit just from like Verde Hill, was able to see Vison on the ball quite a bit. And I'm completely bought into him on the ball. I think... Like we talk about how good Julio Cascante is with the ball at his feet. Um, I think Leo Weissen is as good, if not maybe better than him. Just uh, controlling the ball, long and short distance passing. I think he's really, really good. But due to the location of Verde Hill and the height of the fence, anytime that people were in the box, we could not see what was going on anymore. And so honestly, don't like still don't have a fully formed opinion of his defending The video that I saw when I was watching film of him, I liked it, but um, you just don't know. And so it's good to know that at least in this broadcast against a USL side that he looked like a good defender. The last little bit of of information that was included here is our mole said that we're often had either of a fullback or a midfielder drop into the back line as we were attacking. And so this is something that just like things that I want to see for this year, I was hoping that there would be some type of little tactical wrinkles like this, like what what this person is mentioning, because there's little things that you can do that will help you in, I think two ways, like it'll help you in the buildup as far as like having more options to pass out of a press, but also in transition and I've always kind of wanted them to do something weird with fullbacks in that, in that way, a a common way is like you'll have one fullback pushing up high and the other one will kind of shift back into a back three. That's a pretty common way to do it. Another thing you'll see, and I think Manchester city is, is kind of the most prominent example of this where um, you'll have kind of that same idea and one of the fullbacks will push forward, but instead of overlapping, they'll push into the midfield and will kind of act as like a defensive midfielder and so I think it's just like an interesting way to kind of like rotate rotate your shape in an unpredictable way and still provide cover for defensive transition. Um, I really hope Josh Wolf is doing that like these are the things that like we need a plan b this year. I think if Josh wolf tries to roll out the same, like kind of like business as usual with rotated lineups that are going to be required for as many competitions as we're playing in, I think it could end up being really bad. And so like we need to have that backup plan to play a little bit more direct, a little bit more, um, reserved that like doesn't require us to have 70% of the ball to win.
0: Yeah. And that touches on something that, um, That I think we touched on, uh, you know, just about the way the season went last year is the fact that teams did seem to sort of figure that out. And that's why the value of Austin's hot start was so strong and why Austin was able to hang on and still finish in the second is when later in the year, during that slump, when they got discovered, they had enough points in the bank that didn't really matter. The second part of this comment I think is super interesting too, which says this transition lets the left back get into some dangerous spots and fish in a ton of crosses which is going to lead to a discussion. This is a teaser for a discussion we're going to have a little bit later about a certain left back who loves whipping in crosses and his position <laughs> on the depth chart and how I think we probably all thought John Colmanich was going to be the third option at the left wing go into the year, but maybe that's not true. We'll get into that when we, when we talk through the roster after the break.
1: Yeah, something else that I wanted to get into as far as just like shape goes. The, our mole told us that it was most it mostly looked more like a double pivot. With another midfielder deeper next to Danny Pereira, and with the other team like when the the like subs and first team swapped out, it was kind of the same shape both both times, and so I think defensively having two deeper midfielders like that or a fullback staying deeper, like I said before, it helps us not be so vulnerable that like when we lose the ball because we have a lot of the ball, and this has been a big problem when we lose the ball we're so pushed forward that and like Danny Pereira is not this like killer ball winning defensive midfielder. And so he's not going to be able to cover all, all that ground on his own. Um, having someone else back there, having a fullback staying deeper provides that cover. I think offensively having someone back there with him as well, it it could maybe be a way to provide a little bit more dynamism in offensive transition as well. And I, th- I think you can do that in any shape, but that's more of a mindset thing and less of like a shape thing. But I think this isn't like kind of like the, a wrinkle to plan a instead of like a straight up plan B, but just like in those moments, like if we win a ball high so often, it looks like Austin's like, okay, let's slow down. Everybody get into position. Yeah. yeah. Including the defense, like defense y'all ready. All right, let's go. And then would we'll do their same like possession game thing and try to break them down slowly. I want to see this team do fewer resets like that and have more fast breaks where we win a ball, we turn, get it to Drucey, he turns, he's got Rigoni streaking up the right side, he's got Zardes there to combine with like let's get out and go more often because we have pieces who can do it. Like we saw Rigoni score um a breakaway goal in the Miami match which we'll talk about here in a second, but um we we've got the pieces to do it. Like we can be dangerous that way and it's just we don't try very often and so that's another thing i'd like to see wolf work into this team this season let's get into miami so um we did not
0: have a stream of that the apple employees i guess didn't have access to it or weren't sharing it because it wasn't a uh, wasn't an apple broadcast but this lineup was what we more or less the lineup we've seen as the first 11 during the preseason that being stuver kolmanich kaskante vison and lima Pereira, wolf duriusi vergundes zardes and rigoni and this ended up 2-2 also, so Austin played to draws on both of the games this week. But both these goals were pretty in their own ways, for sure, right? The Rigoni goal and the Owen Wolf goal. So you maybe talk about the Rigoni one first.
1: Yeah, it's it's the only footage we got was like the, it's like the artistic field level footage. And so we don't see exactly what happens, but it looks like a transition moment where Diego springs Rigoni into space and he's one-on-one with the keeper, and uh the keeper gets a hand to it but he but the ball still goes in i i think that's encouraging to me like i was just saying like getting ragoni out into space one on one with the keeper like you take that bet that he's going to do well in those positions so um i think that's encouraging like a thing i i think will help this team and want to see to see that that's happening in these games is good uh the other one was owen wolf um Jussie zardes score like squares a nice pass across the top of the box as wolf is arriving late he takes one touch wraps his foot around it and curls it into the into the far corner it's just a beauty of a goal it's so cool to see uh a owen score it just like the young kid on the team score that kind of goal but b to see that specific player do something like that because one of my biggest criticisms of owen last year was that he's too conservative and like, didn't try stuff often enough. He would have be in transition and have a guy streaking on the backside and could play that like Jared Stroud early cross on the ground into feet and just wouldn't do it. He's like, seems scared to to do something wrong. And for him to just like take his shot right there and whip it into the far corner. Like that's beautiful. I love that. He's trying stuff like that. Yeah. it's It was so good
0: to see, but I feel like that's a shot. That was a, I feel like i saw him give a couple of those attempts last year and we've seen other people like take that shot and it's just like the opportunity's been there and it's just like never hit so it was good to see that land it's because it went in this is not his tomas Pacchettino. if that a shot had you know preseason shot had only gone in instead of hitting the crossbar things would have been different like owen got his in so maybe that means something different for him in the midfield this year and it's exciting to see him play so much spend so much time in the midfield which i you know you talked about all last year that being his best place to play and so we haven't we haven't seen him, seen him on the wing at all this preseason, right? He's been strictly playing in the midfield, which I think is his best place to be. So that also should mean something good for, for him.
1: Yeah, he definitely projects as like an, an eight pretty much. And so I, I think it would be bad for the team and bad for him if he spends any more time on the wing. And then one,
0: one last moment we saw from Julio Cascante on Twitter was uh, Brad Stuver stepping on his head. And cutting his yeah like this nasty gash on the side of his head, um yeah it looked did look really bad. And there was some questions about whether he might be out because of that. Then Brad uh, chimed in on Twitter today to make sure that everybody knew his ankle was okay. Because uh, <laughs> he's like nobody's worried about Julio, but just to know, like I did not hurt my ankle stepping on his head. And yeah, I don't remember Julio responded to later. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I have a feeling since everybody's so good natured about that Julio's probably okay. Like if there was a serious concern, Brad would not be taunting him about his ankle being okay after he stepped on Julio's head. Right. I mean, is that a reasonable opinion?
1: I think so. I mean, like as far as it, I think we can at least read that it's not a serious injury as far as like Julio's safety, but I do still have some concerns about whether or not he'll be ready to go on Saturday because it was a big cut on his head. Like probably needs staples or stitches or something. And so, like, if that's still in that state, like, I don't know if you would be cleared to play. Because, like, one header, if one header is going to split so his head, head open open? and be yeah. bleeding on the opposition, like, I don't know if that's going to be cool or not. Just
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's probably fair. Uh, that, that would definitely change things for game, for match day one, if we're rolling with, because uh, Amro Tarek would probably rot- rotate into the starting lineup, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, he would be the one to step in. So, I mean, it's kind of how we started last year, right? With not our top choice center back pairing with Kip Keller getting the start in the first two games. So hopefully we don't have to do that again. But um, yeah, we'll see. All right, we've got other center back news. We
0: talked about this. I think we knew it was going to happen as we were recording last week, but Johan Romagna officially out um, on loan to Olympia for the remainder of the 2023 season 2023 mls season i think was what it said specifically Correct. i don't i don't know how the season runs but uh it does include a transfer transfer option oh this note you wrote in well, i thought was pretty good once emerald tark was wearing his number <laughs> wearing johan's number that was a pretty good sign that he was on his way out
1: yeah i thought that was telling i think it was was it tom Halleck on twitter that was pointing this out i think that's right um noticed that Tarek was, was listed on the roster wearing number three for the, the friendly, but also a lot of players had been posting pictures of themselves with their number showing on their shorts or something. And Tarek was one of the only ones who did not have a number showing in any of his, his photos with the new jersey on. So um, yeah, they're like, okay, this is your number, but let's keep it a little quiet until tomorrow. let <laughs> be chill on that. So- but yeah, it, it seems like Olympia was like had some kind of sanction due to unpaid debts and were able to clear that up and and get this over the line. Um I was looking in to see if I could find out if there's any reporting on how long Romagna's contract actually is. I found one South American source saying that the contract was four years, but that could easily be like three plus one, like with an option year. And so this option to buy could like, I don't know if this is the case, but it could very much be like, okay, Romagna goes there and kills it. Olympia wants to buy him permanently. Austin exercises that one year and say, okay, yeah, you have to buy him now. And if he doesn't do well and they don't want him, then Austin just like do- doesn't exercise that option and lets, and him, lets him go.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think, so we think that Johan Romagna is probably also done in Austin.
1: I would imagine so. Like this doesn't seem like a go get minutes elsewhere until you're ready. Like, I think, I think Wolf is done with him.
0: Especially for a guy that, yeah, with all the with all stuff with Wolf, with the fact that he's, I think he's played 35 matches over three years. This is not Charlie Asensio last year or like the typical person who has no league experience that you would loan out, right? Like he's, reminds is pretty much a known commodity at this point. Um, oh, I don't know if we said we were going to answer questions from Patreon, but we have our first Patreon question here. Related to that. And Sean Collins has an Illuminodal. I don't know exactly how you say that. that illuminidal, Illuminidle. Candle, candle with. Uh,
1: they're those, those candles that are, are like, um, have the players like as, as saints. As saints. Okay. On the gotcha. side of the candle. Yeah. yeah. Sean, Sean's got
0: one that uh, has Romagna on it that has never been lit and is willing to offer that to anyone who wants it. So it's also it's a little <laughs> bit of. Did you have this? Okay. So when I was growing up, we had this AM radio station. And they had like a buy sell trade show that was every Saturday and Sunday morning, and it oh. was just it was just people calling in where they'd be like, "I've got you know uh, old tractor that's not going anywhere, like who wants it?" And it was like a whole show full of people, just like a swap meet, but on the radio. So this is what we're doing now. We're doing like a, a podcast version of the swap meet.
1: <laughs> yeah, this could be a new market for us. Um, but yeah yeah, we'll we'll get into this a bit more, like what this means for center back depth chart and all of that but uh yeah i I would not expect Romagna to come back
0: all right and then one last piece of news we have this Diego Fagundes family news, and this there were again rumors about Diego. What being offered to a club back in Uruguay, but it was kind of like from his oh, agent. It was, it was a Bra- Brazilian, oh, Brazilian. Team. Okay, gotcha.
1: And it was from, yeah, it was worded weirdly. It was from an account that did not have a ton of followers and was not. I don't like these these transfer guys. Like have kind of a language they use, and this was very much not in that language. And yeah, it used the word like Fagundes has been offered to Botafogo, and. And so people start speculating on this, like, oh, how's it going? Like, what's going to happen? Is Diego really going? Anthony Precourt responds at like 1 a.m. to a We Are awesome <laughs> TV tweet saying, Diego was never offered. This is not true. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a weird tweet. I mean, it was a weird thing. To, for Anthony
0: Precourt does not weigh in on a lot of things for it to be that one. But uh, maybe it was because he knew that this other news was coming today, which was actual family news.
1: Yeah, and so uh, Washington Fagundes, Diego's father, was teasing some type of announcement at at 7 p.m. today. Uh, It rolls around, and it was a gender reveal for Diego and his girlfriend and uh, their their soon-to-be baby girl. And they they announced it by lighting up Q2 Stadium with pink lights. And uh, I saw in Los Verdes Slack that people were talking about, like, oh, I didn't know that it could do pink. And Brian Mangum responds, like, it can do any color. It has 396 individually tunable fixtures and 2 million colors. And I told him that you would have known this had you been a regular listener to the Austin Anthem podcast <laughs> in the early, in early 2020. Oh, my Is gosh. That <laughs> yes, been? that's right. That's what it would have been. And then we heard about it again, because wasn't that designed by a company in the
0: Netherlands? Didn't we hear about that? <laughs> yeah. Line? We heard about that uh-huh. lighting system again when we met the queen. So it's, it's a piece of Austin FC and... Uh, yeah austin anthem slash cap city soccer
1: slash moon tower soccer lore yeah that's the kind of content you were getting from us back then because it's all we had to talk <laughs> that's about right but anyway, yeah c- congratulations to Diego and I cannot remember his girlfriend's name Ashley at the moment, but Ashley okay um but yeah, congrats to them, great to hear uh this leads to another question from a listener this is Alex Rubio. He says, with Diego's new management team, will he get the raise he deserves? Because I think a lot of people were speculating that this might have been a uh, an extension for Fagundes. A lot of people were, were asking for this again. I feel like it happens on and off, but with Giussi's extension, people were saying, okay, now do Fagundes. Like, he deserves it. Um, will Diego's new management team get him that raise?
0: Oh, it- he is going to get a raise from this deal at some point. And I hope that that raise is from Austin. Um, but we don't know the specifics of his contract situation to necessarily know when that is going to take place. Right. Do we believe that he has like maybe a club option for next year?
1: That's what the whispers have been. We don't have any confirmation on that, but it seems like it's possible that there is a club option for next year. So if that's the case, like I'm sorry, Diego, you don't have much leverage here. Like, probably the end of this season would be about when like the player would start having a lot of leverage, like a year out from that contract ending, which I mean, like Diego deserves a pay increase. He's earned it. Like he's shown that he's worth it, but he agreed to this contract and like, he's in a a tough spot because of that. Like I, that's kind of the business of it, right? And it, it sucks. Like, I know he deserves more, but like Austin FC doesn't have any real reason to even negotiate with them right now until they get a little bit closer to the end of that contract.
0: Yeah, I guess that the the, the, the reason to do that would be as if the, the club would have to pay, if he has a great year this year, the club would end up having to pay him more yeah. during the next negotiation term than they would if they went ahead and made the deal now. So I guess that's just sort of a gamble that you have to, that the club has to evaluate, like what the what the upside and downside risk is financially, um, in in maybe extending him. Now, I don't know this for MLS, but I know in a lot of other American professional leagues, uh, typically contracts do not get extended during the season. So, I feel like if it was going to happen, it would have happened.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's some weird, like MLS is always weird with stuff like this. Like I, I know Minnesota extended some like coach contracts in the off season and didn't announce it until like april or something like that um so i mean it could but i think you're right like it's not it's not common i don't think they like to focus on that kind of stuff while the season's on so yeah it may not happen until next off season like i hope he gets that raise i hope he stays here forever but um it's the contract he agreed to and he i think he knowing what he knows now knowing if he would have been playing as good as he was and like as in demand as he is right now he probably would have asked for a shorter contract but he didn't this is this is what he agreed to
0: that's yeah that's what that was what he's gonna have to deal with so let's maybe so i think what we want to do for the rest of the show sort of going through all the setup we we can kind of assume that the roster is basically as set as it's going to be and we've got 19 senior roster players out of 20 we've got one homegrown supplemental spot left so i think at this point in time we can pretty much assume that the roster is set through early summer um, without anything else going you know without anything else going on so let's maybe take a break and then we can talk about where the roster is maybe a little bit of projection for this season um and then do the st louis preview
1: sounds good hang tight we'll be right back with more moon tower soccer when no one is around Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Sage Wilson Property Group.
0: So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. You can find them online at sagewilson.com.
1: And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC.
0: FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community,
1: transparency, and client education. You can go to FBF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. All right, we are back. We are going to walk through the Austin FC depth chart as we see it anyway, or maybe uh, predicting a little bit of what it might be. We'll do that position by position. Uh, we're also going to talk about the MLS preseason predictions for Austin for the rest of the league, and then we'll do a little preview for the St. Louis City game coming up this Saturday, February twenty fifth. Um, so let's just jump right into the depth chart, Jeremiah. I normally I think it's most interesting to start at the back and work your way up, but I think it's the opposite. Are you going to do? Austin, are we going to do right the now. opposite here? Okay, it's fine. <laughs> uh, where did my depth chart go? Here we go. Okay. Starting at striker. This one seems pretty easy. I think Jossie Zardes is the clear favorite to be the starter. Uh, Maxi Arruti. And we've talked about this before. Like we have like a few different flavors of striker this year. Maxi Arruti will, will be the first off the bench. Uh, if we need like another rotational starter, I think that's Maxi's spot. And then we have Will Bruin. I think he's there for kind of like Trash can time tactics free zone kind of thing, just like big dude in the box makes something happen. I think that's going to be his prime role, and then maybe gets gets some some starting minutes here and there if based on injury or or tired legs or whatever. But I think that's kind of how it sits. I think
0: it's pretty solid. So do you have a prediction on this the the uh, split between starts for Sardes versus Aruti? Like, do you think it's like two thirds, one third? Do you think it's more dramatic than that? Do you think various widely depending upon competition or like, what, what? do
1: what do you see those, those minutes going? I think two thirds is a pretty good split at this point, just because of how many games it's going to be. Zardes, um, he's not old, but getting older. I think he's 31, we'll probably turn 32 this season. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's probably a fair split. And then Bruin, I would say pretty minimal starts, But we'll get worked in and get some like later in the game minutes probably.
0: Yeah, I can see Bruins main starts coming in another like other competitions when Austin has a busy week, right? Like if Austin moves forward in the U.S. Open Cup or, um, you know, as the as the Concacaf Champions League gets a little deeper, maybe he gets like a start here or two. But I wouldn't expect to see a ton of that from him.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, we want to go left or right for the the winger. Let's go left. I think it left is more interesting. All right, so Diego Fergundes the clear starter here. Uh, second string, like I think we had no clue up until a week or two ago, we saw Hector Jimenez get some minutes there against um, what game was that? It was Louisville the- City? Yes. I, I, I think that's our our guy, right? I think we had speculated about Valentine Noel. Uh, in the photos, fo- the team shared some photos of them traveling to Florida the other day and the first team and second team guys had different track suits on and Noel was wearing like the JV track JV suit tri- essentially. Now
0: were they different track suits or was the same track suit? Was this the, it was the reversible, right? Was one of them wearing like mint out and the other wearing black out? <laughs> Wasn't that the,
1: what it was? Unclear, but it was very much Austin <laughs> first, first two players second, wearing yes. one color, first team wearing another color. Okay. And so Valentin Noel was wearing the other color. I think it's safe to say that if any of the other draft picks get contracts, it's going to be with Austin too and not with the first team. And so as far as like other options, I think it's, it's Rodney Redes. That's who we've seen get minutes on the left wing so far. And so I, I, yeah, I think it's like Fagundes and then Rodney Redes and or Hector Jimenez. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I thought I did see Hector subbed in for uh John Gallagher in
0: the last match, so he's still I guess he's oh, all, he did. Yeah, I guess he's always going to be an option at, on on defense, but yeah, he can't in the um it was the Miami one, right? Where basically this the second team started and he was a substitution for um for
1: no, Gallagher. it was the uh the Sacramento game. Sacramento. Whichever the one second the second team started the game.
0: Whichever one Gallagher started, Jimenez subbed in for him.
1: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we are hoping that we wouldn't be going into the season with Rodney Redes as the number two there, but it kind of seems like that's the case at this point, which I don't know how I feel about.
0: (laughs) I feel like it's a good thing. Diego can run forever and does not miss many, if any matches is how I feel about that.
1: Yeah, that's true. All right, let's go to the right. I think um, we thought that, Emiliano Ragoni should be the starter, but we weren't sure. Like, if he kept, if he stayed on the same trajectory as we saw at the end of last year, I was not convinced that he actually would be the starter and, like, still thought there was a, a real chance that Ethan Finley wins that starting job on match day one. I think Ragoni has done enough and, and shown enough from what we've seen and heard and read that he's going to be the starter. I think, I, I think he's improved since last year. Yeah, I guess one. I, I agree with that completely. That he is definitely
0: um, the guy there. The one thing that's a little bit different about the right wingers versus like Diego, for example, is they, at least the first two guys, they are very much right wingers only, right? So like because with the fullbacks, one of the things you can do, one of the good things, especially with John Gallagher, is you have some positional flexibility where you can flip him around. But I don't feel like you would see either Rigoni or Ethan Finley ever on the left, which is which well, hurts the definitely. Well, Rigoni depth,
1: has played on the left, okay, before. Uh, And we've seen he's good with both feet. And actually, after the Louisville City match, Josh Wolf said I I was asking him about uh, guys that we'd seen play in different positions. And it was Jimenez and John Gallagher that we'd like we they played in spots. We didn't really see them much last year. And he brought up Regoni saying like, yeah, Emiliano looked good on the right. We're going to try him in some other positions as well. So I don't know what that means because he's played some striker. In the past, he's played on the left wing. In the past, so um, that's that could be an option as well. Maybe maybe it's Emiliano Regoni on is the, the left second and, string left wing. Yeah, and then <laughs>
0: Finley on the right. Because like I don't know, you know, CJ super young. Probably I would imagine not see a ton of minutes. He's the other person you look at look at on the wing. Um, he was
1: wearing varsity warm ups the other was, day, okay. getting on the plane. But we've not seen or heard anything about him being on the field in a while now. So I don't really know where he stands right now.
0: Yeah. So maybe maybe that's our. Just like kind of the fullbacks, we well or what we thought we had three solid starting options that could
1: play it both ways. Maybe that's the deal. Maybe you end up with the flexibility there with Ragoni. Moving back into the midfield, this gets a little bit more complicated. I think maybe so. Okay, I don't really know how to talk about the midfield as a depth chart because you have Drew U C, and I don't think there's a one for one switch there especially when we're playing like the single six system we did last year. Um, You can put someone else in the same position, but they're not going to play it the same way he does this year. I think it's like more and less true at the same time. If Josh Wolf does roll out two deeper lying midfielders and Juicy is like a more true 10, um, it makes it easier to talk about, but also... I think Diego Fagundes is probably the only player who could play that position anywhere similar to him, but we didn't see that last year really. Um, and we don't have anybody else to play in his position if we move Diego anywhere else. So Jerusalem is kind of like on his own, like it's Jerusalem and that's it. <laughs> and so last year, the solution was what That's where Felipe got some minutes, right? Whenever Jerusalem needed some time. Yeah, he would slot in, like usually sub in for Drew and play like that, that dual eight, that free eight that it was usually Drew and ring and Felipe would sub in and play in that spot. So you don't think Jafal could do the same thing? I, I feel like when Jafal comes in, he's he will usually be one of the deeper line guys. But if it's not him, then who is it? Like,
0: <laughs> right, right. 'Cause I think what you're getting to is like really it's a it's a positional question almost more than anything, right, at this point. Like is the way the midfield aligns, the way the midfield lines up really is a lot to do with what the depth chart looks like from among the midfield positions outside of Jiu C.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I think that's definitely the case. And if you are playing two deeper lying midfielders and like a true 10, like I feel pretty good about like depths in those deeper lying spots, but if you if let's say you have Jafal and Valencia, uh, playing deeper as like those substitute guys coming in, like who is that tin? Like there's not none of those other guys really play as a, like a pure tin, and so like I don't. That's gonna be interesting to see as as what they do. In those spots, like, do you are you forced to then shift back to the single six and dual eights in those moments? I really don't know.
0: And so, you don't buy this, uh, Matt Doyle's uh, depth chart that has Owen Wolf is the number two right here at the 10 spot.
1: I mean, kind of like it's again, like, let's let's talk about last year's shape where you have Danny Pereira as a lone six and then the two free eights. Yeah, that could be Owen Wolf, it could be Sophia and Jeff could be Alex Ring, it could be any of those guys. Um, with like Pereira and Valencia being more of like the the single six kind of guys, I could also see Owen Wolf and Sofiane Jeffal and Alex Ring being the deeper lying guys, if it, like the double pivot. But if it's double pivots and a true chin and it's not Drucy seeing the true chin, I don't know who you put there. Well, let's hope we don't have to worry about that too much. If if if, <laughs>
0: if is unavailable for extensive periods of time for this season an MLS competition like Austin has a lot of trouble just period period. I mean all across the board
1: um all right so how do you talk about the rest of the midfield then man I have I think I think it's safe to say Danny Pereira is going to be a top choice like he'll start most games if he's available and I think it's safe to say Um, that
0: Johan Valencia is going to be on the bench most of the time
1: yeah I think that's that's fair um so let's go back to the the starting lineups we saw with these last couple of preseason friendlies. So if memory serves, the last couple of years, in the last couple of preseason friendlies, we've seen more or less like the day one starting 11. And so I was kind of expecting as we get into these last two that I'll see, OK, these guys are starting. This is going to be the eleven. And we'll know kind of like what to expect on the season opener with what we've seen so far. I have absolutely no clue in like three or four different positions who's going to be the starter, uh, at those spots. And Alex ring has not started, like not played with the quote unquote starting group so far Uh, the last couple of games, it's been Danny Pereira next to Owen Wolf, which uh, not a thing I would have expected, and so like, do we believe that that is the the starting midfield right there? Has Owen Wolf risen so high and Alex Ring fallen so far that that's that's where we're at? I mean, that seems very hard to believe, and I feel like you can make a real strong
0: argument that you know what Alex Ring is going to do and what you're going to get out of him. So like, our mole saving some the, saving some minutes in the preseason is good. Well, no, I was going to go to the other side too. Uh, is uh, I think was it Danny on Instagram today posted a picture of him and Owen side by side and said something about see you Saturday. So I literally yeah. have no idea, and I'm shocked to not understand that and be sold on on. Especially, I mean, knowing Alex Ring, luckily Josh Wolf is not worried a lot about contract situations and who's a DP or not, like in his term. But you know, knowing that, like, I'm very surprised that. I'm as unsure as I am right now about who the starter is going to be there next to Danny Pereira.
1: Yeah, this is a really bizarre situation to me. Like Alex Ring, uh, I think like people have criticized certain parts of his game and sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly. But he's the captain the last two seasons. He's our most important player season one and one of the more important players season two. despite his flaws was still very important to this team to see him go from there to like, not even starting. And it, it, we're not hearing anything about fitness or injuries or anything like that. It's. And so like, yeah, it's really weird to me. If we've heard like very rumory rumors that maybe he's on the way out, like again, like tablespoon of, of salt with that one. We don't know if that's true at all, but it's it seems like a very weird situation to me. If that's the case, um, yeah, I don't, I just, I do
0: not know. I just, I can't believe, I can't believe it's unsure. And I feel like, it, it, I feel like it's un, more unsure every day. If we did, if we had this discussion a week ago, I'd have been like, oh yeah, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a thing, you know, it's just one preseason game, whatever. But um, just things keep building to appear that uh, that maybe that's not the case. Oh, before like we've, I meant to talk about this when we were talking about Jarius, and then we forgot it. So I want to trash talk our friend Sam Jones. Um, If we can go back to that, <laughs> when he said in his uh, MLS deadly kickoff, he, one, he says, you know, even if Jeruzi's goal scoring, what regresses to X goals, 15 is still really good. But he did say then, follow that up with, Jeruzi does not offer more than most defensively, which seems like a thing that somebody who has not watched Sebastian Jeruzi would say, because I take a lot of issue with this statement. And I believe you did too on, uh, on Twitter.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like... I, this is, I think, this is another case of like there being too many teams and too many people who have been tasked with being experts, not having time to watch all of the games, but then having to have an opinion anyway. Um, I th- yeah, to to Sam's point, like there's there's some people saying like, oh, it's risky to re-sign Drewsi based on because he overperformed his XG. Like this is to Sam's credit. Part most of this article was saying like. Even if Juuseppi performs exactly at his expected goals and assists, it's still like a top ten performer in the league. And so, like, yeah, sign, lock that guy up long term. That's that's good business. But then, yeah, made that statement and was like, yeah, this is Juuseppi. And I, I tweeted this: like, if you had told someone who never watched any MLS, hadn't seen Austin play, and you said okay, this 2022 Austin FC team, they have one of the best defensive forwards in the league and just told them that and didn't say anything else. I think they would watch the first half of the game and be like, wait, okay, which one of, is it Ruti or Drusi? Which one were you talking about? Because I think they're both excellent defensive forwards. And yeah, to to say that he doesn't offer more than most defensively, I think is a great injustice to our, our number 10.
0: Our number 10. Our king. Our legend. Okay. Well, let's. Sorry for that interruption, but let's maybe go. <laughs> I feel like we'd kind of discuss the the ring thing to like the, its logical conclusion, too, other than to say, yeah. like, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out uh,
1: in a few days. Last couple of thoughts on the midfield, though. So I think I mentioned this on the last show, but Jeff All like having Valencia be gone for a week or so, getting his green card sorted out. We still haven't got an announcement on him, actually, but uh, he's back in town. Um, I, yeah, I, I, it, it seems like from what we've seen, maybe Jeff Wall has an edge on him, and I'm fine with that. I like what I've seen of Jeff Wall so far. So I think he'll get significant minutes. It looks like Owen Wolf is going to get significant minutes in the midfield, maybe even start day one. So as far as the rest of it goes, like I feel like Valencia feels like the odd man out at this point so far, um, and it seems like the other five guys are probably going to get a lot of minutes.
0: Yeah, I agree. And this current Kelly asked us about this. We were gonna talk about it yet, probably, but like to give to give credit to current and the questions, uh from pat from Patreon. We talked a lot of, he had the one about Owen Wolf uh versus Josh Ring. So there we go. We we managed to get to that. So let's talk about the defenders. You wanna go with fullbacks or center
1: backs first? Um let's talk center backs, because I think the fullbacks are maybe more interesting. <laughs> Okay, centerbacks.
0: I think there's no doubt who the top, although we talked about maybe not for game one, but obviously Leo Weiss and Julio Cascante, um, first choice centerbacks as often as they are healthy and available. Like I don't expect to see a lot of rotation there other than when they're forced in midweek games. Uh, we had this discussion in a side chat about Julio Cascante earlier and kind of who he is or earlier today. Was there anything from that there that we want to talk about on the show?
1: Yeah, so this was uh, Chris Haig and Brian Mangum and Derek Insign, some other folks. I think, but it was who was posting the stats? I think it I was think, Taylor Rudolph. It, Taylor, Taylor, yeah. Taylor, and Chris were the ones kind of like bringing the stats uh, as far as this goes, and like as far as G plus, which is like I still don't know that I fully grasp this, but it's essentially like how many goals you could expect this player to like goals to be scored while this player's on the field versus when he's off the field. And if you take that Julio Cascante has one of the highest G scores in on the, on Austin FC's team. And I think higher up in the league. And so we, I think the point is like, we remember his big mistakes that lead to goals on the other end, but there's a lot of other stuff, both. I think just eyeball test, but as well as with these like underlying numbers that are not the end all be all, but I think can tell you something and and like good supplemental, uh, information for these things that Julio Cascante adds a lot to the team. Um, I, yeah, I just think it's a good thing to keep in mind, but that being said, Leo Weissen seems like he's even better on the ball than Julio. So I I'm excited to see what that duo looks like offensively anyway.
0: Yeah, and then we very clearly uh, Amro Tarek and uh, Kip Keller are the second of the second pairing, and we we'll talked about this a little it's bit. The only other two, right? It's the only other two. So. We talked this a little bit <laughs> last year. Like it's quite possible only one of them will be on the game day roster, and I think this leads into some another couple of questions that we have that are things that I hear people talk a lot about on Twitter. It's just concerns on what happens if one. If actually, it's not even if one. What happens if both of our starting center backs are injured?
1: Yeah, so Tim Thompson asked this, and Trevor Allison also asked a similar question, but, like, asking what happens if, uh, like, are we okay at center back depth? What happens if somebody goes down? And, like, Jeremiah and I were talking off-air, like, center back depth seems okay at this point. Like, are they, like, overall quality, I think is still a question, but the actual number of guys who can play in an MLS game, like, having four is a pretty good number, I feel like.
0: Yeah, and so we've gone from I believe Freddie Kleeman was probably one of the top four in year one, to yeah to Keller and Romagna sort of trading out, you know, or I guess Keller and Romagna were the back two last year, so one would have been three and one would have been four. Said, yeah. So
1: that's now right. we've
0: got Kip Keller is the solid number four in Romagna out of town because he was fifth. So I feel like that's been an upgrade. So hopefully it's not too much of a concern.
1: Yeah, and we'll need three and four to play more minutes this year. Um Amro Tarek, like I feel fine with him getting several hundred minutes this season. Kip Keller does still seem like a question mark, and so that could be a concern in the games where we maybe have to start him or play him significant minutes. But like you said, it, it's a it's a better situation than we've ever been in at center back. Yep. Well, let's go to go to fullbacks then, and I think the rights
0: the. Well, I don't know. I guess we could talk about both because I don't I don't know if it's as subtle as maybe.
1: Yes yeah, th- we so thought we've been seeing the with the starting group. It's been Jean Colemanich and Nick Lima. Um, I think had you asked us who the I mean, we did this with Marcelo in the over under and like listing the number of minutes being played. I think we picked. Did we pick Gallagher and Lima to play the most lim- the most minutes?
0: Yeah, I think we picked Gallagher to play the most minutes with Lima playing the second most minutes.
1: Yeah, and so to be seeing Kolmanich, that's the main surprise is Kolmanich being run out with what looks like the rest of the starting 11 is very surprising to me. And so I think we all would have probably picked John Gallagher to be the favorite at left back, maybe Lundqvist being the favorite there. But to see Kolmenech getting the minutes with, like, the quote, like, what looks like the starting group has been very surprising to me. And like, I don't like, do we think that's, that's the guy? Like, is he starting on Saturday? I still expect to see John Gallagher starting on Saturday. Gallagher and Lehman just seems like a,
0: it was a steady. Gallagher
1: hasn't played left back at all this preseason. At he's all been this preseason? Right back.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I
1: think when he's come in, it's been like, the groups have been Lima and Kolmanich. Oh, that's true. And then, and then the, it's been Gallagher and Lundqvist. Because there's no
0: other real good option at right back, other right. than Hector. But I mean, Hector's sort of a utility
1: player at this point. So, so but so, they've, they've been doing that like first team, second team rotation, and it's been the same sets. Like Lima has always gone with Kolmanich and Lundqvist, and Gallagher have always gone together with Gallagher on the right. And so to say, like it's hard to say that like okay, Gallagher is going to start at left back at this point like I don't think that's even a possibility now you don't think so, so you're it's gonna, like who, who you, is one of these groups the starting group and is it the two that have been with the rest of the quote unquote starting group and like I'm I've never been more confused about what our starting 11 is going to look like on on the, the season opener
0: well I think the the upside of that is it's because there are multiple talented players with MLS experience who can competing yes. for these spots and it's not just like oh, there's these only two. There's two people that we're not scared of seeing on the field, and so therefore these are going to be the two two guys playing fullback.
1: Yeah, new new problems, which are good. Which are good problems. Uh, do we talk any more fullback depth or the keep the keeper? Uh, just to say, I have no idea. We've got Kolmanich is the guy who would have been at the bottom of my left back depth chart, and maybe he's going to start day one now. I you you kind of alluded to this earlier as far as like if we're seeing any kind of weird shift with the fullbacks that pairing could make sense if you let kolmanich push up really high you leave nick lima back kind of shifting into a back three and using lima as as a, an additional center back when we're when we have the ball i could see that making sense because kolmanich's strength is his crossing ability. He does that better than a lot of people in the league, frankly, not just on this team, but a lot of people on, in the league. And he's always been a bit of a uh, a liability defensively. If you do that little shift and make it to where like, okay, don't think of Kolmanich as a fullback. Think of him as kind of a winger now. And we've got that defensive uh, the defensive re- responsibility covered by someone else on the field. Maybe that makes sense. And maybe that's why he's getting those looks, and why Wolf is is trusting him there. So, um, maybe it makes more sense than than it we thought it did at first glance. So who knows?
0: Yeah, and if I'm if I'm Jesse Zardes, who loves people putting crosses in on him, he's probably oh, pretty man. excited about that potential, right? Oh yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk about keepers. This should be pretty brief,
1: I think. Uh, yeah, we don't. Yeah, Stuver and then. I mean, we've seen Bersano play at Q2 before. He wasn't great when Austin played against them. Our mole didn't like what they saw of him, but I think it's kind of what you can expect from backup MLS goalkeepers most of the time. Um, You're not going to spend a lot of money on that position because of a salary cap league, and so you kind of take what you can get, and Matt Bersano is what we got. So hopefully he can do good enough, when he gets called upon, but hopefully that's not super often. Exactly. Hopefully
0: doesn't get called upon very often because I feel even less confident in him than I did in um, did, I did last year when Stewart was out with our guy yeah, Targanall.
1: One one note about Damian Loss: the only, I guess, information we got about an Austin two game, Damian Loss did get the start in that game. So, um, not sure. He was he was with the first team at every game last year, even though he was not on game day rosters, and so he would go out and warm up with the team. I don't. I feel like that's probably not going to be the case this year. You you don't need three keepers to just do warm ups and drills, right? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I
0: don't know where I don't expect to see him. Let's get to one. This one, Alex Rubio question. That's kind of that's like random but interesting, um, and that is which one of our u twenty two slash homegrowns will have more minutes and why. Um, And U22 players remaining on the roster are John Kolmanich, who we just talked about. And Ruddy Redis, who we've uh, talked about as little as we, can, we want. And then uh, Owen Wolf is the homegrown. So I don't think that the question about which of the U22 players is going to see the most minutes is necessarily that challenging. Like I'm sure we're going to see, we better see a lot more of John than we see of Roddy, but how about Sean versus Owen Wolf?
1: That's a it's a tough one right now, right? Like again, if you'd asked me this a week and a half ago, I think I I feel like well, maybe I wouldn't have known the answer I think, still. I feel like but it both. wouldn't have been because like yeah, I would have been like because both of them are third on the depth chart and not both of them are starting. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I would have projected
0: much fewer minutes for both of them a week or two ago than I would right now, but I think it is an interesting <laughs> question.
1: I don't know. Ah, uh,
0: I will go with Owen Wolf if forced to choose between those two for first team minutes.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I, I honestly like. I feel kind of bad about this. I I think I have more faith in Owen Wolf to like keep getting minutes throughout a season, whereas I kind of feel like we know what Colemanich is defensively, and I don't. I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith that he's going to improve in that aspect of his game a lot. Uh whereas Owen I think is on an upward trajectory and is only going to get better throughout this year.
0: All right, well, let's Do you want to go over these mlssoccer.com preseason predictions for Austin before? We need to save sp- we need to save a little bit of time for the St. Louis preview.
1: Yeah, I don't think we have to spend too much time okay. on this. Um so I can't find them if you
0: want to Sure. Queue this up. Okay. <laughs> So, the pre, so MLSsoccer.com every year makes preseason predictions. We will uh, most notably remember last year when everyone picked Austin to finish between 11th and 14th, which Josh Wolf then laminated, which then led to, I think, Joe Lowry having a whole column every week called laminated based upon those predictions. <laughs> and this year, we have a very different set of predictions. Uh, Caitlin, Kyle and Sasha Kleston pick... MLS Ortiz pick Austin first in the West? Um... And then there's several second, several third. I think the lowest anybody goes is Charles Bain picks Austin fifth. So I just say everybody at MLSsoccer.com is feeling very bullish about Austin FC's finish for this season.
1: Yeah. And Ben Wright, who covers Nashville uh, averaged out all the picks. And so if you average all the picks together, Austin comes out at 3.2, which is the third highest in the West. And yeah, like you said, the lowest pick was fifth. And so people are, are feeling high on Austin this year. Um I feel like last year we got disrespected a little bit. This year, I honestly feel like these picks are too high.
0: <laughs> I do a little bit. This is a point I made on Twitter earlier. I feel like this these picks are really just how did they finish last year? Do we think they're a little better? Do we think they're a little worse? And like that's that's all that you can read into it. It's basically every pick is just last season with minor adjustments and nobody's ever going to make like a a broad you know, prediction like Austin's going to go from 13th to 2nd, or somebody's going to go from 2nd to 11th, or whatever. But it's just like sort of these iterative movements. And so just don't read too much into this.
1: Yeah. Every, everybody's hedging their bets, trying not to look too stupid, which we're going to do later this week when we record. When we record with Phil. Westward yeah. Ho. And we're going to do our MLS team draft, which we will also be hedging our bets and trying not to look too stupid.
0: Which we did a little bit when we did the uh, the you know, the MLS fantasy draft with the uh, with the other two podcasts, right? I feel like we were very much let's find people who are successful in the past and assume they will continue right. to be successful. <laughs> yeah, so hey, we have a game this week, and we have a game. We, we have a game with a team that didn't exist before, so we do not have the traditional. What did they do last season? Who's in? Who's out? What we what can we expect? Um, Preview versus St. Louis City. I guess just wait, St. Louis City. <clears throat> I think overall people do not expect much out of the club. It's been sort of a weird roster build. Um, almost everybody, I think among the pundits picked them to finished, finished 14th of 14. Um, probably even, even lower than Austin's predictions were for last year. Um, we see Jared Stroud as a protected, protected starter, which is kind of exciting for Jared Stroud, but maybe also talks a little bit about the roster build and, and how it's been going so far. Um, what do you think about St. Louis?
1: Yeah, I'm. I think looking at this roster, there's a lot of unknowns in this, like starting eleven and depth chart, like just guys who are new to the league, who have come from leagues where it's kind of hard to know how they're going to do stepping into MLS. Um. And so, like looking at like, I don't know what those guys are going to look like, but there's quite a few knowns on this roster as well. So guys like Jared Stroud, Tim Parker, uh, John Nelson, um, Jake Nervinsky. Like there's some guys who Austin FC have seen over the last few years who are like pretty good to okay players. Those are the names that make me think this St. Louis team is not going to be great. Like all these guys are like, okay players, but it, it feels a lot like, the Austin FC 2021 roster build where this is like, we're not going to get any huge contracts. Uh, We're going to get a few guys who, if we stay healthy, will set a high floor for us, but probably a pretty low ceiling. And then we can kind of see what we need this summer, see what we need need in the next uh, off season and have the flexibility to build from there. But I think this season may end up being a little bit long for St. Louis. As far as what it looks like against Austin, um, Lutz Fan, and Steel, who is their sporting director, and then uh, can you remember their coach's name? Bradley Carnell. Bradley Carnell. Who, he's also a like from the Red Bull school. And so that is the style of play that this team is going to do. They're looking to do the, the full-on gig-impressing thing, live for transition moments, play against the ball, like these teams will often play the ball like give the way the give the ball away intentionally at times so that they can go and take it away from you in your own half instead of trying to build up from their own half. And so that is what this team is gonna try to do. I think it's a hard thing to get a team all doing in sync at first. And so it's a style that Austin has struggled with. And so mate, like I, I could very much see a possibility where they come out and punch Austin in the mouth and kind of speed bag us and end up like getting a few goals on us. But I could also see them looking out of sync and not really playing well as a team together and maybe not having the talent or the legs to do it well yet. And, uh, if Austin can break that initial press and just like be okay on the ball, move the ball decently. For a, a home opener, like I think Austin should win this game. Yeah, I think it's. A, I think that style is a very hard thing to pull together
0: for week one of 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 an of MLS season. So hopefully, uh, I don't know that Austin's going to have the same kind of start that that Austin had last year, but it seems like a pretty good matchup. That was the read really the Tom Bogert preview. He called it energy energy drink soccer. I guess to not directly reference,
1: yeah, to <laughs> directly
0: reference the Red Bulls. But also notes that on paper, this team will be a clear talent deficit against everyone they line up against. With other other than having the unknowns who maybe will turn out to be great or
1: not, they only have two designated players at the moment. And Fan and Steele, the sporting director, came out saying like, "Less than just saying like, nah, we don't need DPs," (laughs) which is a choice. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's a very interesting choice to, to make. Okay, so Elise asks us: Last year's season opener was unexpectedly delightful. What should we expect this time with St. Louis? So I can emotionally prepare myself. I think you've got into that a little bit, but it's just, it's dependent upon this is going to, this is the Austin way. The first 15 minutes are going to probably make a lot of difference in how this game goes, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think as far, I mean, we can expect a great atmosphere. I know that supporters groups have been working on a TFO, which if passed this precedent will be amazing. Um, St. Louis is bringing a big group. I think they sold out their 200 ticket allocation and probably going to have bought out tickets in the rest of the stadium as well. So probably a pretty big group of St. Louis fans in the stadium. So that should be fun. I think all of that, we know what to expect as far as what's going to happen on the field. Like mainly with the starting 11, which we've already talked about. I have no idea what you should expect. At least expect a good time, a fun atmosphere at Q2 stadium, uh, the rest of it, don't worry about.
0: Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what us from a year ago expected. I think probably... I don't know that we were excited. I feel like... Because it was FC Cincinnati was the first match last year, right? Uh, yeah. Was it the home opener? I just remember thinking, we better win, and if not, Austin's in for a long year, so there was no potential for joy, really, I think, in my head, yeah. going in before. <laughs> so, you know, maybe this year... I have a little bit more faith that Austin's going to be better and one, maybe should hope for a win, but I think, yeah, kick back, have a good time, enjoy LaMurga and enjoy the game day experience and show hospitalities from St. Louis fans who made the trip, who had that excitement that we had a couple of years ago. Um, but who knows what's going to happen on the field?
1: Yeah, I, I truly am like really excited for, to get back into Q2 to see some soccer there. I think I am a person who, Uh, oftentimes whenever there's something I'm excited about, whether it be a soccer game or like a trip, I always find some, some little bit of anxiety to have about it where they're like, Oh, did I pack all the right stuff? Or like, did this happen? Did did I do this right? I'm just like excited to, to go back to Q2, watch some soccer, sit in my seats, see my friends. I'm, just p- like pure excitement, no anxiety about it whatsoever. Maybe that'll change in the first five minutes whenever we give up a goal trying to play it out of the back. But right now, I'm excited. Uh, I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm excited about this week. I'm excited we have the first two
0: weeks at home again. Um, I'm like thinking it's going to be a really, another really good
1: year. Um, and just
0: there's no need to take any of this for granted. Like last year was a magical run and hopefully this year will be, be another one.
1: All right, anything else, Jeremiah, before we wrap
0: up? No, let's wrap it up. Next week, it's going to be exciting because we'll have a game to talk about. We've, we've That's right. We've survived the offseason. Actually, thanks to everybody out there that continued listening during the offseason because like, the numbers didn't dip as much as like I expected they would in terms of downloads because I think there's a lot of excitement about this club. Um, and I think we'll do another 50, 52 episodes or whatever this year.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Come find us on Twitter. I'm at LVHero87. Jeremiah's is at Bentley underscore ATX. And then we're at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. And also uh, check out our interviews on our YouTube page. Smash that subscribe button. And then you can go to uh, the Striker website where you can get a 30% discount with the code Moon Tower twenty two, a capital M Jeremiah, what can folks look out for there? Well, Phil West published a two part
0: article uh, with an interview, exclusive interview with Sean Rubio that I think really gets into a lot of depth about Austin FC two, uh, into how the the club has looked at the roster construction. And I think it would be interesting for anybody that's like wants to understand some of the behind the scenes stuff when it comes to to club construction.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll be later, like we said later on this week. We're gonna have our MLS team draft on Westward Ho, so look out for that. And then next week, we'll we'll be back to talk about a game and kind of back into the regular swing of things. So until then, I'm Landon Cottam. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. Thing for Ooh. nothing, you never. La gente... Oh my God.